Hello, welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. I'm talking a little bit quieter than normal. I realize my quiet is probably most of your louds, but my niece is asleep down the hall and I haven't wanted to wake her up this morning. Anyways, today, Lisa is going to share about her bipolar journey, her journey to becoming an ultra runner, how she manages intermittent fasting with ultra running, and so much more. And I learned so much from Lisa, and I know you are going to, too. I also know that her story is really going to touch you and her willingness to share about her bipolar journey, because I think both Lisa and I really, really want more and more people to feel comfortable sharing about their mental health journey. I hope in some small way, maybe this story and today's episode can do just that because I titled it Beautiful Bipolar Journey on purpose because I think Lisa's story is beautiful. I think Lisa's life is too. But before we get started today, I wanted to share with you a reflection I had. So I was in Arizona. I needed a shirt. So I went to Target and it was a shirt like to wear over a swimsuit. And I just grabbed this like sleeveless shirt. The shirt said, choose happy. And I will tell you uh, in life, sometimes I'm guilty of underthinking things. Sometimes I'm guilty of overthinking things. However, I kept thinking about this shirt. And maybe this is an example of overthinking. Maybe it's not. I'm anxious to hear what you guys think. But it says, choose happy. And I kept being like, yeah, but maybe there's a lot of people in the world right now that can't choose happy. Maybe they're struggling with depression or anxiety or a recent loss or a recent diagnosis. And choosing happy just doesn't really fit with where they're at right now. So I purposely wore this shirt this morning as I'm recording this introduction because this shirt keeps making me think. And I guess, what word would we replace with happy? Would it be peace? Would it be joy? I don't know the answer because still some of those words maybe you're struggling to find today. But I am going to do my best because I can, even though others might not be able to, to choose joy and peace and even try to choose happy, even though sometimes that's not my favorite word, even though sometimes that might not be the best fit. I also wanted to share with you, as I was thinking about this shirt, I took a class in college for my international relations major, and it was Judaism. We were able to pick some world religion classes as a part of our major, and this rabbi was known for his storytelling. And I don't know why, but Lisa's story, this shirt, it just reminded me of this story. He shared about how we all have strengths and perceived weaknesses, and how some of the things that are our strengths can be our weakness too. And he said, instead of criticizing both of those things, maybe think of yourself like a rug with the fringe on the end. And that some of those things that we struggle with, some of those things that we say are our weaknesses, are one side of the fringe. And then our strengths, and that what we perceive as our best qualities, are on the other side, also the fringe. And yet, interestingly enough, those pieces of fringe hold the middle together. They make up who we are. And they are both so beautiful. And that rug is complex. It took a lot of time to make. And every single rug, even if they were meant to look exactly the same, well, they don't. And so I think that to me, that kind of reminds me about how we can think of so many parts of our journey, so many parts of our personality, really that we are all this rug. We're all very complex. Maybe we can choose happy, maybe we can't, but that instead of criticizing parts about how we were made and the complexities around sometimes our personalities or, or maybe some of our struggles, we can look at ourselves and say, look at how beautiful I am 
and look at this fringe that is holding me together. So I can't wait for you to hear from Lisa. I can't wait for you to tell me what you would choose, what word should really be on my shirt. And today, let's reflect on how beautifully and wonderfully made each one of us truly is. Here's Lisa. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bet Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids. I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast. I am your host, Bet Lucas. Today, I have the immense pleasure of welcoming Lisa Glick. And you know, she's one of those people that I have never been able to meet in person yet. I'll say yet, dot, dot, dot. But she has an energy and a light. And I just know by hearing her journey today, you will feel that light, that sunshine. And ironically, she lives in Arizona where there is a lot of sunshine, but If you're kind of somewhere a little bit more gloomy today, I think we've got some light coming your way. So Lisa is here. We're going to talk so many things. And one of the topics that we're going to tackle, some of the stigmas around mental health, we're going to talk about intermittent fasting. We're going to talk just so many things. And Lisa herself is a podcast host. She's a retired music educator. But I'm going to let you and the listeners hear this from Lisa directly. So without further ado, Lisa, Lisa, I am so excited to have you. Great. I'm so excited as well. I've been following your podcasts and all, all your guests are fabulous. We're all fabulous. You know what it is? We, we are all so fabulous and we all inspire each other. So my name is Lisa Glick. I am 61 years old and I am a transplant. I lived in New York state my entire life. I didn't live in the city. I lived upstate, but I was born in the Bronx in case you hear that in my voice. And I was a vocal music educator for 33 years. I lived and breathed music. Music is the main thing that identifies my personality. I went to college for music. I always sang. Music is just crucial to my well-being. So I taught for 33 years in New York. I taught um, all all grades, K through 12, and I taught thousands, thousands of children. Wow. And I, um, I was a runner in high school. I took up long-distance running when I was 15. I didn't run my first ultra till I was 50. I did a lot of music theater. So I'm a dancer. I sang on the side in bands. I always had multiple balls in the air. I just had a a lot of things I'm interested in and a lot of passion. I also um, sang at nursing homes and, and did music memory care. And I only have one child, one perfect child. And uh, we can talk about that, but I reached out to bet because um, I feel like I learned so much from other people's journeys and I wanted to share my experience. This this is my experience um, with bipolar disorder. It took me a long time to get diagnosed. And um, I just thought if my story can help one person, I am very glad to just get it out there and pay it forward. Wow. And that takes a lot of vulnerability to do that. You know, it really does, no matter what we're talking about, to kind of say, you know, this is my journey, because none of our journeys are are perfect. You know, we we all that's that's what makes them so beautiful. But there is, like you and I have talked about, there there is sometimes a stigma around talking about mental health. And I think you and I both agree we want that stigma to go away. We want we want more and more education around this topic. So Tell me a little bit and tell our listeners, you know, how you found out you were bipolar. How did that come to be? 
Sure. So I'm a musician. I'm a creative person. So often musicians are very moody, right? We Mm -hmm. have our ups, we have our downs. So my whole life, I was very much up and down. And I thought that was just because I was a musician. And I remember as early as um, like third and fourth grade, having days where I would wake up and just feel really sad and numb for, for absolutely no reason. And on the flip side, I would have other days where I'd feel very uh, revved up and excited as if something was going to happen, but there was nothing special going on. So I just thought that's how I am. And then, of course, in middle school, you know, kids are pubescent and they're they're a little Nazi. And, you know, my moods got a little bit more severe. Never thought anything about it. Um, in ninth grade, I gained a little bit of weight when I stopped growing when I was about 14 and I went on a severely restrictive diet to lose weight. And, um, I was diagnosed as anorexic, but in hindsight, I don't think I was anorexic. I think it was the bipolar kicking in now that Mm. I know. So I just want to throw that out there because I think often, um, people, men and women that end up with eating disorders, what came first, you know, the chicken or the egg. So anyway, lots of moods up and down. I, you know, I was a high achiever, got great grades, had all the leads in the high school shows, went to college for um, music education. So I went to college at, um, my weight was 110. I'm 5'3". And when I left college, I weighed 162 pounds. So you can see that I started um, binge eating during college, lots of carbs, and I was in a severe depression. And you know, the sugary foods, the depression, it was just a very vicious cycle. So I, I still graduated with honors. I won student teacher of the year award. You know, I got a job five minutes after I graduated and I started teaching in this lovely rural town in upstate New York when I was 22. I was such a baby and um, I was, you know, a high achiever. I had a great, I was a great teacher. I, I taught, I directed the high school musical. I uh, met my husband, my then husband, I'm on a second marriage, who worked for IBM. IBM had a big presence in the Mid-Hudson Valley in New York. So we got, you know, we got married. I I got my weight down to like an average weight. I was like 130. You know, I did a little bit of restricting, over-exercising, so on. So great life, great husband, great job, friends, everything. I ran the New York City Marathon when I was 27. And then I got pregnant with my beautiful daughter at age 28. I had my daughter when I was 29 years old. And I thought that I had everything ever, ever I could ever want in the world. I had this perfect, beautiful baby, madly in love with my husband. Everything was amazing. But, and when I had my daughter, I had a fabulous pregnancy. I was nursing. I was taking her on hikes. I was like, I had friends, everything. And then as I started to wean her from nursing, I started to feel really odd. Like I started feeling very revved up. I started um, having trouble eating sleeping. And I became extremely anxious. I started having panic attacks and, um, and it kept escalating. I remember being home alone in the house and my thoughts were just like flying around in my head and I I just couldn't connect the dots. And, um, and mind you, I had like about a one-year-old child that I was home on maternity leave taking care of. And all my friends were very concerned. My husband traveled quite a bit and he just thought it was just you know, he didn't know. He thought I was just adjusting to my life. And I want to say this. I went to my primary care doctor and I said, there's something really, really wrong with me. I cannot connect my thoughts. I'm really agitated. I can't eat. I can't sleep. And I remember this. He said to me, oh, you just had a baby. Get a babysitter. Go out to dinner with your husband and relax. That's what he said to me. And I just had a baby. So I was, uh, my daughter was maybe about one. And so a week later, I had a nervous breakdown. I went back to my former school. I was accompanying um, the elementary chorus on the piano, and the notes started swirling around on the page. And in the middle of a concert, I said to someone, I need medical help now. And they had to, like, call my husband. So I basically had a nervous breakdown. So... um, They brought me, you know, they put me in a psychiatric hospital. And so here's the deal. I had just had a child. So everybody understandably said, oh, it's postpartum, blah, 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 blah. So I spent 
a long, long time. I spent almost two years of my life in and out of uh, psychiatric hospitals, day programs, different doctors. I can't tell you the amount of different medications they put me on. It's, it's frightening to think of what they put in me. And nobody could figure out what was going on. My ex-husband at the time thought I was being non-compliant. I was, I was petrified that they were going to put me in a hospital, lock me up, and throw away the key. So by the grace of the universe, and because I'm an educated woman, I had educated friends, I have great insurance, I found a local psychiatrist that was close to my home in Kingston, New York. She saw me three times, and she said, Lisa, you are bipolar. And she put me on lithium. It's a medication that is um, used often for bipolar disorder. And in three weeks, I was 100% better in three weeks. Wow. I know. Amazing, right? Oh, and the journey that you went through to get there. And you think, I bet you think about this all the time. You think of all the people out there that are maybe on a very similar journey. They don't know what's wrong. And then I think of combined with just being a new mom, I could totally see how they're just like, oh, Lisa, you're just having severe postpartum depression. That's what it is. That's what it is. So, you know, the point, I think one of the compelling reasons I like to speak about this is because even though I was not well in my mind and even though I was severely, severely depressed, I had this like fire inside me that. I need to get better because I had a baby and I had a husband that I loved at the time. And the other thing that really concerns me is doctors, they don't want to like look at the big picture. They just kind of look down a narrow tunnel and they check boxes. And I think it's really crucial to take into consideration everything about the patient, family history, you know, uh, medical history, foods they eat, everything, because I, I was in a bad way and that three weeks on the lithium, I don't know if you know about lithium, but they, they start you on a small dose and they increase it slowly and you go for blood levels to make sure it's safe. And I can explain this really clearly. I started with lithium and in two days, I felt like someone went into my brain with like a dust cloth and like mm-hmm. dusted away the cobwebs. I swear, I could feel every day clarity growing, clarity growing, clarity growing. And by three weeks to a month, I was like, oh my gosh, I I can think again. And when that doctor said to me, Lisa, you're bipolar, you know what I did? I was like, yay, somebody knows what's wrong with me. (laughs) Yes. Like it wasn't a sad, it wasn't a sad day for you. It was like, I've, we figured this out. We figured this out. It sounds like, and then, and then to have a solution is there within the mental health community or within patients, is there a stigma about lithium or is that kind of well accepted? What's your opinion on that? And and do you still uh, find relief from that today? Okay. So this is my opinion, but lithium is the most inexpensive psychiatric drug there is. Now it doesn't work for everyone, but as you know, medicine is a business and often doctors are they're tied to pharmaceutical companies. So you go in and they give you the latest and brightest antidepressant because that's what's on their sketch pad, you know, on their um, prescription pad. So I think lithium is one of those medications that is often forgotten about. Now, I do want to say this. I'm not a medical doctor. It does not work for everyone that has bipolar. So if you think you might be bipolar or know someone, don't go run into your doctor and say, hey, lithium worked for Lisa. I want to try it. It happened to work for my chemistry. It's one of those things that it's not often used because it's so basic and it's old, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that so I am, sense. no, I am not on lithium now. I was on it for almost 20 years. And what happened was as I was on the lithium and, um, you know, I had a long journey to recovery, getting my life back. I had therapy and then I started running again and, and using all the tools and improving my nutrition. And as I used all those other tools, uh, my doctor said, Hmm, I think we can lower your dose a little bit. And then, um, she, under her supervision, you know, I got a little bit thinner, so they had to lower the dose for that because it did cause a little weight gain, the lithium, but you know what? I didn't really care because I just needed my life back. So as I got in better shape and I, once I got to be able to think clearly, I was able to use all my tools and she slowly weaned me off. And I've been off for about 10 years, I think. And 
I would go on if I had to, but I, I really feel like it just got me to the place where I needed to be. I love so much about your journey with that because you are thankful for that medication and yet you're thankful for where you are now. And you're also acknowledging that to get you to where you are now, it took lots of other tools. It's, it's, it's so similar to all of our journeys where it took you probably with, you know, with your exercise and your eating and other things too. But so you are taking the lithium, you're, you're feeling better. And what does your health journey look like from that point forward? And, and what are, what other things did you learn along your path? Yeah. So I had a really great doctor. She was a woman and she had me taking a lot of like omega-3 fatty acids. And she was very much into eating whole foods. And oh, I do, I do want to mention, I did stop drinking because it wasn't doing any good for me. It was just making me sad. And um, mm-hmm. so I've been alcohol-free for a while because it, it wasn't doing anything positive for my life. So um, that that's just a choice I made. And plus, you know, I'm very sensitive to all sorts of things. Like I've been on um, Nuprin because I just broke my arm and that made me feel a little wonky. So anyway, so I, she got me eating whole foods. I was always a runner since age 14. So I was able to go back to my running. I was, I was able to, you know, get rehabilitated and go back to my job. So I I do want to throw this out. Um, I was a public school music teacher. And while I was teaching, I was not as open about my bipolar disorder because I taught thousands of children. And I didn't want a parent saying, oh, you yelled at my kid because you're having a bipolar episode. So I kept it um, limited to my close friends. You know, my close friends knew, but I wasn't, you know, posting about it on Facebook and things like that. So I started, you know, back with the running, I, you know, doing fitness, uh, I started going low carb early on because sugar was not my friend. It didn't make me feel good. And, you know, music is one of my tools. And then I started kind of, you know, making my life in a way that it was joyful. You know, like I would teach and I would sing in a band on the weekends and I would run with my friends and I would anything my daughter had, I I was at, you know, whether it was karate or violin or whatever in my house, since I only had one child, all the kids came to my house. It was like, that was the house because we had a big house and Wendy was an only child. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I just slowly just kept adding on, adding on and adding on in a good way. You were taking healthy steps towards things that were bringing you joy that were things that kind of made you every day kind of help you look forward to that day. And I love that you balance that. You're like, oh, well, I I work during the week. And even though I love my job too, but on the weekends, I sang in a band. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Thank you. And the other thing that was very important to me was um, giving back. My grandmother had Alzheimer's and she was in a nursing home and I would go visit her and my grandmother is the person I got my music from. So I would sit at the piano at the nursing home and play and sing to my grandma. And then the next thing you know, they're saying, oh, can you come and help with the choir? And so that just segued into, um, I volunteered at a lot of nursing homes. I brought my, my chorus students, I dragged them all over the county, you know, to sing at nursing homes and my daughter as well. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And when I retired, that segued into an actual job. So a part of my wellness is to not just get really wrapped up in me. <laughs> to, mm-hmm. It's really, really, really important for me to give back. So I don't bake. Like I know you don't do like the meal train. I don't bake, but I can sing. So any like community activity, Lisa would bring the kids, you know, or I would show up and sing the national anthem at the Memorial Day Parade, or I would go to the veterans hospital and sing for at the holidays because that's my way of contributing. Now, Lisa, do you agree with kind of my thought process here that the healthier you were, the more you were able to give back? And it's not to say that when we're in a in a in a tough place or in a dark place that we can't give back and help others. But it sounds like to me that that the healthier you were, and also a part of your health journey was 
then being able to give back more to your to your grandma and to those in the nursing home and others. Absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 part of who I am. It's very important for me to contribute. And you know, like this year with COVID and the isolation, even though I'm retired, I was doing a little bit of that here in Arizona. I was singing at a local um, assisted living, and I was uh, teaching fitness at a community, and I was you know, donating to the food bank and volunteering at races. And that all came to a, a crashing halt. So now I'm hoping that will resume. And I, for me, I, when I think about other, when I help other people, it just lifts me up. You know, it's like, there's no way you can do a good deed for someone else and, and not feel in, you know, joy and, and empowered. And I think that's great advice for anyone right now. If they're feeling a little bit like with quarantine and COVID and all the things, it's really easy to get wrapped up in the news and wrapped up in a lot of the the negative. And a great way to to take some steps towards feeling more joyful is to go do something that gives back to others. Because like you said, it's really hard to ever leave a giving back moment and not feel better. It's really hard. Even if the giving back moment was with someone who's having a really tough time, I, there's something, it it changes you, right? Exactly. It's, yeah, it's karma. And I want to also say this. A lot of people are like, oh, it's, I don't have time. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be the smallest thing. Like there was a young woman in my community who uh, is a teacher. She posted that she needed size something running shoe for her cross country team. So I was able to touch base and connect with her. And I gave her a whole bag of like used running shoes and t-shirts for her team. It was like a small thing. But when I left that parking lot, I was like, yay, I contributed today. You know, (laughs) it does. It changes you. Lisa, I want to tell you about it. So I had this young life leader growing up. His name was Dennis. And I've shared this story with a friend before. And he was wearing this ring. And it was a ring that like, you know, men or women would both like. I think it was a silver band. It had some design on it. And I complimented him on it. And after I complimented him on it, he gave it to me. Oh, my. And here was this ring I saw him wear all the time, all the time. And he goes, Bet, this is much, this is as much of a gift to you as it is to me being right. able to give it to you. And from that day on, anytime someone will compliment me on something, even if it's something I really love, Lisa, really, I find such immense joy, kind of exactly in that instance you were saying, of, of doing what Dennis did, of saying, I want you to have this. And, it, it, and it's such a little moment, but it right. taught me so much. And exactly what you did for that teacher, it was as much, it was a, such a gift to her, but it also gave back to you. Really? Yeah. So that's, I would consider that one of my tools. Like it's very important to me. So even with the isolation, with the quarantine, I'm a singer. So I was singing and um, making videos of my singing and posting them on YouTube. And my friends were enjoying them. I have friends that were homeschooling their children. I taught 33 years. I got a lot of songs for kids. So I just like, (laughs) I just did like a children's hour. And it's like, Another friend of mine was working on a COVID unit. She's a nurse and I, I sing every, you know, every decade. So I did a bunch of standards and that I have to tell you this, she brought her phone into the COVID unit in a plastic bag and one of her patients refused to eat. And she played one of my songs for her and she started eating and this is virtual. So there's so many ways to contribute that you don't even realize who you're helping. It's so true. And it probably is helping more people than you ever realize. You ever realize. And some people will probably come back to you later, Lisa, and say, Lisa, I forgot to tell you. Or Lisa, I meant to tell you. You really helped me with this with this song and with this moment. So, oh, I, I love that. So, so then, you know, you've moved through, you've evolved through your bipolar journey. Mm-hmm. And then what kind of brought you to this next stage and these other tools like intermittent fasting and your eating approach, all of that, where does that come into play on your journey? Great. Thank you. And so I think that nutrition is a crucial, crucial, crucial component to well-being, period. Mental health, physical health. Like I just broke a bone in my arm and I have to tell you, I'm like, I got this because I'm an intermittent faster and I also eat low carb. 
I know I'm going to heal well. So what happened is I had always been low carb just by instinct. I was never a cake, you know, cookie kind of person. I like my meat and I like my vegetables. And, um, you know, we're, where um, my husband and I are both my current husband, my, our long distance runners. So we had gone to um, help out at a hundred miler race. And um, we met this famous ultra runner named Zach Bitter and he does uh, keto low carb to reduce inflammation. So my husband and I were in our fifties. He's like, Oh, I think we should try this. So I started with keto. And for those that are listening, so there's all different versions of keto, but this was our version of keto mainly eating whole foods, lots of protein, lots of healthy fats, um, lots of vegetables, but no processed carbs. So like no cookies, no bread, you know, things like that. Um, you know, maybe now and then a sweet potato. And we both gave up alcohol at the same time. So we started with keto and I noticed a huge improvement in my mood, a huge improvement. I was starting to head, head into the menopausal age. I was heading towards, um, retiring from my job. I had recently been divorced. I had like a lot of things going on and keto was like really, really helpful. And then if anyone's ever done keto, they know that when you're eating all the good fats and you know, bet you probably know this, you know, we were brought up low fat, low fat. And then, so I was like, Oh my God, I got to eat fat. But once I started eating the fat, I was like, Oh, where you been all my life, you know? So. <laughs> hey friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. The funny thing is, is like I got so used to like crappy fake butter that now like it almost – so when I was in the hospital having Vivi, they didn't have any real butter. Oh, they no. had no real butter. And I I think I had a butter withdrawal from Kerrygold. I believe. <laughs> I believe. But you, we were so – you're exactly right. It was – fat was such an enemy to us, right? We were told it was the worst thing you could ever do. Yeah. It's so sad. It's so sad. And, you know, my daughter used to get headaches um, if I served margarine. I had to keep butter in the house for her. So that just tells you about the chemicals and margarine. But I guess I should preface this. So even though I was on a lithium and I got better, my eating was always a bit of a problem. Like it felt, I felt like, um, like I was always like kind of reeling it in and I was white knuckling it and I was always struggling. Like, did I eat too much? Did I eat too little? Should I eat now? It was like, I was obsessed with food and I kept my weight down because I was an over exerciser and I was very rigid with my uh, diet. But once I went on keto, I, I noticed that it gave me a lot of mental freedom about my eating. And then keto, it, once you're eating the good fats, like I said, you, your appetite kind of diminishes a little bit. And so Keto just led us, both of us, right into intermittent fasting. You know, we would have our bulletproof coffee in the morning, go running, have something else, blah, blah, blah. Then we realized, oh, I don't need the bullet coffee in the morning. We just have black coffee. And and we're long-distance runners, so it's so convenient not to have to eat every five minutes when you're exercising and bring all the food with you. So keto led it us into IF. And now I do have to say um, I've been doing carnivore since Christmas because – I needed another level of improving my diet, and um, it seemed to be helping me a lot. Well, I think that's great. You know, I was listening to your interview with Jen Stevens on the Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast, and I was I was thinking you and I had a very similar journey to IF where I started with Bulletproof Coffee too, and I really credit it to getting me really where I was. I was so grateful to it. And so it was so similar to you that I, I would do kind of bulletproof and then I would, that was kind of satiated me and that was kind of my meal. And then now I'm more of a black coffee drinker, but it was a great tool then. And I think anyone who can't seem to get 
get to IF or can't seem to get to black coffee, hey, do a morning window and use bulletproof coffee as a tool? Sure. But most of us don't do it as much now or don't use it as much now. But I I, I love that. So so you've gone to more of a carnivore, you're, you know, you were kind of keto. How did you find that helped your bipolar? Did you feel that that was, that has been positive for your bipolar journey as well? Yes. So that's part of why I decided to explore carnivore. Now I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to be carnivore forever, but, um, we started around Christmas, you know, I'm in Arizona. We had a very high, <laughs> high COVID rate. The hospitals were full. I just moved a year and a half prior. So I was feeling a lot of anxiety about the unknown and the keto and the IF was helping me, but I felt like I wasn't really where I needed to be. And I also was having a few digestive issues. I was getting, I love vegetables. Like I love vegetables. The bigger, the better, the salad, give me the humongous bowl. And I was kind of overeating my vegetables and I was having a lot of bloating and um, I'm 61. I went through my changes at about age 53 ish. So I was having a little bit of the menopausal tummy. So I just, you know, we, we do a lot of research. My husband and I do lots of research. We read, read scientific stuff. I listen to podcasts and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to give up the vegetables for like three months. Like I'm not going to die from just eating meat. I'm just going to try it. Right. And right. so I tried it and I have to say it was almost like the lithium experience. Just after two weeks of going full on carnivore, I, I felt so much less anxiety. I felt happy when I woke up in the morning, my thoughts were clear and my stomach wasn't expanding as the day went on. Right, right. And I hear that from a lot of people that they really struggle with bloating and they don't realize that it may be that it's the vegetables that their diet. And I, like you, love vegetables. I don't have the bloating problem, but I've heard from quite a few of my guests on the show that are carnivore, I am not carnivore, but I totally respect that eating lifestyle that their bloating goes way down and their clarity goes way up. I hear that over and over. Yeah. And I'm not saying I won't ever incorporate vegetables and I might still consider myself a carnivore, carnivore-ish. You know what I mean? Right. But like the thing is you got to try things for more than five minutes. So same thing with IF, you know how Jim Stevens in her New York Times bestseller recommends the 28-day fast start. You've got to give things time. So I thought, you know what? Let me just try it. We have an extra freezer. We live in the Southwest. We also um, are eating sustainably. We bought a whole cow from a local farm. It's grass-fed meat. We have a barbecue. And we're not going anywhere. So it's easy to control my meals. We're home. So... Um, for me, that was like the next step. Oh, and I am, I'm still intermittent fasting. So we'll eat dinner like 4.30, 5 o'clock. We're retired and it's hot here. So we eat early and then I don't eat after dinner and I won't eat the next day until maybe like one o'clock. Oh, I love that you shared that because that's what I, that was actually my, was my next question is what is your, your intermittent fasting uh, window look like? So, so you're typically kind of a, like a four to six hour window. Is that? Oh, not I even. I think- Four hours, I think. Four hours, okay. Yeah. Some okay. days even less. It depends. Um, some days like two and a half, three. Uh, it depends. So I also want to throw this out. Um, I am an ultra runner. Yes, I am. I ran my first 100 miler at age 59. So it's never wow. too late. Um, I did multiple 50 kilometers. That's about 32 miles. I did four 50 milers. I did the Vermont 100K. So I'm a long distance girl. I love, love, love being outside for like all day. Like I just like put on my, my hydration pack and just go in. So when I'm doing a very long distance hike or run, yes, I open my window earlier because I'm doing a lot of activity. So I am not militant about, I got to have a 20 hour fast every day. I kind of go with what my activity level is and what my body tells me. And in the ultra running community, is it becoming more and more accepted to be an intermittent faster or do people, are people still shocked that you intermittent fast and are an ultra runner? Um, I think it's a little of both. There's, there's quite a few people that are intermittent fasters, um, in the athletic community and there's still old school people that are like, Oh, you got a pre-workout, post-workout, eat every half hour, blah, 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 blah. So, um, I think it's becoming 
more into the forefront, but I, I do run into a lot of people that are opposed to it and almost offended. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because sometimes those people that I feel like are offended are the same people that'll come back to me a year later and go, Hey, Hey, what, what was that? <laughs> what that was that thing you were doing? But at first they're like, Oh my gosh, what are you doing? Going to my next question, how has intermittent fasting, has it helped you with some of those food issues you were talking about where like, am I eating too much? Am I eating too little? Kind of that always thinking about food or how, how has intermittent fasting played into that? It has helped immensely. And, you know, people think it's it's contradictory to intermittent fast. If you have a history of eating disorders, I think it's the opposite. What intermittent fasting does for me with my food issues, it, it frees up my mind and I don't have to worry about it. So I just fell Saturday. Thank you very much. And I broke my, um, humorous. I broke my right arm. I'm a righty. This is a big deal because I'm very active. But I have to tell you, if this had happened 10 years ago, I would, I would have been, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to gain weight because I, I can't work out. And now I'm like, I'm not going to worry about it because I'm an intermittent faster. I am a low carb girl. I am not going to worry about gaining weight while I have to reduce my activity level. And my intermittent fasting is going to help me heal. So it has given me peace. That's the best way to describe it. A lot of people say freedom. I, mean, I know you know this, but it's, it's, it's changed my life. Yeah, I I really think that because of the society we live in where food's everywhere, where we're being told all the things about food, where we're being marketed more food, it's really complicated because we're being bombarded and food, we're always thinking about it. We're we're thinking about it when we're driving to work, when we're flying in an airplane, when we're uh, waking up, when we're going to sleep, when we're going, uh, going anywhere, we're thinking about food and are we eating too much? Are we eating too little? Are we, should we start eating to start our metabolism? And like you, for me, I've never had such good food in my whole adult life and actually been such a healthy eater and had a healthy mentality towards food until I started intermittent fasting. And I didn't have disordered eating, but I feel like there's a lot of us running around just not eating the way our bodies deserve and we're snacking and grazing all day. And we're just really not, if you took a picture of it, it wouldn't be food that it wouldn't, you'd be like, what is this? And now with intermittent fasting, I sit down and I'm eating really good whole foods and meals that are, that are photo worthy. Really at the end of the day, it's so much different. I think, I think food is a real problem in society. I think food is too much a part of entertainment. And I understand that when it's someone's birthday, we have traditions that there's cake, but I, you know, I was a teacher, there was food everywhere, like cupcakes in the break room, this and that. And I think it's okay to use food for joy. And it is absolutely a pleasure. But I really think we need to get back to um, eating to live and not living to eat. So I I just want to throw that out because I just think food is everywhere. And we don't have to eat every two hours. We were not the cavemen didn't run around eating every two minutes two hours when they were chasing. So right. uh, yeah. So I just want to And before out. you start there, I actually think that leads really into, and it, I actually want to, as a teacher, I don't know if you saw this when you were teaching, but something that I really feel passionate about is the amount of snacks that they want the kids to eat. And then there's birthdays. And then there's, I mean, every day I think my kids come home, Lisa, and they say, Oh, it was so-and-so's birthday. And again, I'm not trying to be a joy killer, but the amount of snacking and and food that is associated that we think has to be like a reward is getting almost too much. It's yeah. getting too much. So I think I think it's an important point because if you every time your kid gets a like another stripe on their karate belt or they get an A on a test and you go to the ice cream place, they're going to associate something positive with the sweet treat. So I just think people need to be careful about that. So anyway, this is what I do. So like when I'm not injured with a broken arm, uh, I'll get up, have my black coffee, and I usually do a run or a hike or a swim or whatever I do. And I open usually with bone broth that I make myself. I have 
Um, I was using powdered bone broth because I just happened to love opening with a, a protein and a fat thing. But because we ordered a whole cow, I threw some bones, you know, in the Instapot and I made this. It's amazing. It's like gelatinous, you know, it's very thick. And I am 61, so I need my collagen. So I will open with like bone broth and maybe like a piece of leftover meat from the night before, you know, half a hamburger. Um, I love bacon. Bacon is like my weakness. So I'll have, so I usually open with like some kind of protein or fatty kind of thing. And then, um, you know, we have our meal. And before we were carnivore, we would have, you know, our protein and we would have like, you know, Brussels sprouts, like a cooked vegetable and a salad. But now, you know, we're eating carnivore. So we'll have a steak or I'll make a pot roast or we'll have ground beef. And then, you know, I'll have a, a decaf coffee and that'll be it. When But when I first started carnivore, I did have a little uh, sauerkraut and pickles just to kind of transition. And my mm-hmm. husband um, is eating, he's eating cheese. I, I had to give up dairy because I just wanted to see how it changed my body. Like, like so many other guests, you're sharing now, you may not do this forever, but this has been a great thing to try and to try it for more than five minutes. Mm. I like that line, Lisa, because, yeah, like <laughs> you know, I always tell that people that when they need to take a break from alcohol, caffeine, they need want to try intermittent fasting, they want to try carnivore, they want, it was something, whatever it is, it, it it's not going to make any you know, there's not going to be results likely, or you're not going to see the benefits of it if you just do it for five stinking minutes. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. Exactly. And you know, there's that quote from Maya Angelou, like, do the best you know, until you know better, and then do better. So, you know, I've been reading a lot about the mental health benefits of carnivore. And I thought, what I got to lose, I'll just try it. If it doesn't work, I can go back to the other way of eating, right? Right. You you have nothing to lose. It's such a it's such a beautiful and profound point. So kind of moving on, how have you felt? You know, we have a lot of, of women who listen who are perimenopausal, they are in the depths of menopause, or they're postmenopausal and they are struggling with uh, their weight or their their thyroid or their health. What things have helped you? Uh, manage that. And I know you've shared a lot of these tools already, but is there anything else you want to really hit on and hone in on for meta- for those that are listening that might be struggling with menopause? Yes. Uh, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on this. So first of all, it's very different. Like you just did a podcast about having a baby. And I thought that was so beautifully done because it's, you're not the same just because Susie took progesterone or estrogen, maybe you're not the same. So everyone needs to do what's right for them. It's good to talk to other women and, and realize, oh, I'm not the only one going through this. But for me, I had already been keto and I already was very physically active as I went into my menopause. So I really recommend being physically fit because I was a runner. I was teaching a Zumba, you know, I was teaching fitness dance at my local gym and I, you know, I was moving and grooving. And so when I went into my menopause, it, it was really not too bad at all. I did you know, I had a little bit of the um, the hot flashes and um, I can say, like, I can be specific. I had a vaginal atrophy. I didn't have dryness. I just had like your vagina gets old and it gets like tight. So I did take a topical estrogen um, just for a while, just to get things going. But then when I went carnivore, that helped a lot. So that's what I did. So once again, bio-engineered, you know, hormones, it's not, they're not the enemy. If they help you get through this without losing your mind, then that's okay. But then, you know, eating whole foods, very important. And I really think alcohol is really a difficult thing to do when you're going through menopause. It doesn't help. And you got to find a doctor that will listen to you because I had a couple doctors that were like, oh, well, that's just how it is. And I'm like, no, I don't think so, you know? Amen to that. I think, you know, in so many things in life, we need to find people who are listening to us because we know our body. You know, I just literally in one of my introductions, it's like, you know, I don't know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for me. But you know what? We do have this this gut feeling and and we need to find people that listen. I also want to go back to your comment on alcohol. And people on this podcast are going to think I'm being a broken record. They're also going to think I'm being a downer. But I will tell you that all the physicians that I interview, Lisa, they say the number one problem is the daily Mm -hmm. or every other night 
yep. wine, yep. wine drinking of our generation. And that, that, that one to two to three glasses that people are having with their dinner every single night is causing way more health problems than people want to ever accept because we like our wine. It, it tastes really good. It, it, a lot of people, they feel like it helps them relax and it, all the things. But I think you make such a big point that if you are struggling through menopause and alcohol is a, a major part of your, of your diet or a part of your diet, you may want to try taking a break for a while and see how that helps you. Because I hear it over and over again that it's hard at first, but that people see benefits when they either reduce it or they eliminate it for a while. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And, you know, what they're finding now because of, you know, the COVID and the shelter in place and the lockdown, there's been a lot more alcohol consumption. And so this, again, goes back to society and our habits. Like, you know, there's those shirts that say mommy needs wine and everybody goes, ha ha ha. And, you know, oh, I had a tough day at work. You know, mommy needs wine. And I think we need to be really careful about normalizing drinking every single day. That's all. I'm not preaching. I'm just saying you need to just be careful what you use as your coping mechanisms and you need to feel your feelings. So alcohol, it really does mess with your hormones. You know, if you're having issues, it's, it's not going to help your night sweats and um, either is sugar. So it's up to you. It's like, what are your goals? It's like, if you really want that wine and you don't care if you wake up at three in the morning in a pool of sweat, then that you got to make that choice. I think that's great. We got to put our big girl pants on and realize that there may be a consequence for that. And if you've you've chosen to do it, just realize that there may be there there is cause and effect in most of these these things. And I love that you highlight sugar too. So, yeah. Lisa, kind of on a, a another topic, I love listening to interviews that my guests have done with other people. I just find them fascinating. I love learning as much as I can about their story. And you did mention in one of your interviews that your thyroid has been something that you have tried to get to know better and that you're that you're passionate about what your thyroid is telling you. I hear from a lot of people that their thyroid is problematic, but I also hear from a lot of people that their doctor isn't wanting to dive any deeper, that they say, oh, it's fine. Your thyroid's fine. But they feel like inside maybe it's not, it's okay, but it's not optimal, I think, is the, is the word that, that Jin used when you guys were talking. What have you learned about your thyroid and what advice would you like to share with our listeners on, on things to, to look for with low thyroid and, and solutions you've found on your journey? Yeah, thank you. That's that's a fabulous question. So the reason my thyroid is messed up is because I took lithium for 20 years. And so that was one of the side effects. But oh, well, I had to. I had to take the lithium to get my life back. So I am on a really minute amount. Um, now I do take Synthroid. It's a synthetic thyroid replacement hormone. But the dosage is being lowered and lowered um, every couple of years because of all my other health improvements with my nutrition. So what I would say is, oh, I did have an experience when I was going through my menopause where I went to an endocrinologist and I said, my thyroid isn't working right. The medicine isn't working and I need a change. And she, of course, did the typical blood levels. And she said, oh, no, all your numbers are fine on paper. And I literally in the office, I started stamping my feet and crying and saying, they're not, I'm not fine. I don't feel right. So I think this goes back to the point of my contacting you is we need to be our own advocates and we need to be proactive. The doctor yes. works for you. So if you go to a doctor and they poo-poo you, you find another doctor or you can have your, you can go into any kind of blood uh, lab where they draw blood and you can order whatever tests you want. Um, so there's multiple tests for thyroid. There's like the T3, there's TSH, there's thyroid hormone. There's a whole panel. It's not one thing. And it's all of them work in combination. And it's also affected by your estrogen, progesterone, that kind of thing. So if you think you're having an issue with your thyroid, do your research and, you know, find someone that will listen to you and be willing to look at the whole picture. And when you thought maybe something wasn't right and you do have a little bit of a low thyroid, 
Do you know what symptoms you tend to have with low thyroid? What are things you've noticed? Oh, yes. So they're, they're crystal clear. You can find them on the internet. You get like dry, brittle nails. You get like constipated. Um, your skin is dry. Your hair might start to fall out. You feel very lethargic. You might feel sad. So if you're depressed, you know, definitely get your thyroid checked because it's all, it all affects. But if you have low thyroid, thyroid, these are pretty, you know, typical symptoms. See, I think that's so helpful because I think a lot of people may not know it's it's something with, to do with their thyroid. And when you go to a doctor and get your thyroid tested, am I correct, going back to your comment about this, that sometimes they'll only test one of those? Yeah. Like they won't, they won't, yeah, they won't dive in. And what what do you find are the most helpful to tell you about your thyroid? Have you do you have any experience on that? Yeah, I don't have it in front of me now, but there's like five different components that they need to check. Like a lot of them, I just, you know, I moved from New York and I went to a new doctor last year and she said, oh no, we're just going to check your TSH and your T3. And I was like, no, I want you to check my T4 and I don't have it in front of me, but there's five different components. They need to run the full thyroid panel. And if they don't want to do that, you look it up and you tell them, I need all these things. It doesn't cost any more. They're drawing your blood. It's, you know, if you have insurance, it'll pay for it. And even if you don't have insurance, the test is so minimal. It's very inexpensive. Right. Well, I think that's hugely, hugely helpful. So I so, so appreciate it. I just, I want to go back for one second about the alcohol. Yes. I just want to mention, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to get too involved, but my mom, had a little bit of that mommy needs wine and she would start drinking at four o'clock and drink till bed and she would get pretty uh, sloshed. And I think she was an alcoholic undiagnosed and, but she passed away a while ago, but in, in hindsight, I'm pretty sure, sure she suffered from depression and she was self-medicating. So I just want to throw out to people that if you're having certain behaviors that you're thinking like, Hmm, I'm not really thrilled with this, like eating too much sugar, drinking too much alcohol, you know, biting your nails. So just think, why am I doing this? Because sometimes depression hides, it hides in other ways. Yes. I, and I think that is much more common than we all realize. I think there's a lot of people that are walking around depressed and they are uh, medicating with food. They're medicating with alcohol. They're medicating in in other ways. And, and I think that's that's really key that you honed in on that. You know, we've kind of been talking about all these tools I think your journey is so amazing and so impressive. And I, I can't believe that you took up ultra running at 59. What else would you like to talk about today that you feel like we haven't hit on, that you feel like is, another, is any of your messages that if you could you know, shout it from the rooftops or, or sing part of your story, what, what are we missing? Oh, thank you. So I think my main thing I would like to say to people is it's never, ever, ever too late to do something new. I hear people say, oh, I always want to learn how to play piano. And now I'm 50. Like, so what? So you could learn to play the piano. Or I always wanted to run like a 5K. So hello, you could do that. So my, I have a, um, a poster on my wall and it says someday is now. So my advice to people is if you want to do something, go do it. Just do it. <laughs> I I think that's, but I think hearing that from someone like you, who's living that you are living that Lisa, like you're living that through your running and through your, just your different adventures. And I, I think that there's a lot of people out there that think it's too late to learn a new language, to start a new job, to start a company, heck to start a podcast. And yeah, uh, I think that that is so beautiful that someday is now. So Lisa, if people want to connect with you, hear more about your journey, can you tell people where to find you? Sure. I'm on Facebook. I'm Lisa Zucker Glick on Facebook. I have uh, two podcasts. I have uh, Bending the Trail with Lisa Glick. And then we have another Facebook community. Uh, I have a Facebook community with Bill McKinney. It's called The Fasted fitness lifestyle community. And that's uh, centers around people that exercise and do intermittent fasting. And we also have a podcast that goes with that. So if anybody's interested in exploring 
how to exercise safely while doing intermittent fasting. We have a really great community there. Oh, I need to go check that out. What And what a great resource you are as someone who is super active and an intermittent faster and being successful with both of those things. And I also want to wish you lots of healing thoughts <laughs> for your broken your poor broken arm and that you were willing to come on and be on the show today. I feel like I gleaned so much wisdom from you, Lisa, and oh, I thanks. know our listeners will do the same. And, you know, your bold advice today is that encouraging people out there that someday is now. Yeah. Well, you know, when you have a, when you have a catastrophic illness and you think you're never going to recover, when you recover, every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. And I really think every day you need to find joy. Like, yay, the sun is shining. Like I have a broken arm. I can't do very much, but I walked a mile this morning. I'm like, yay, I walked a mile. Yay for me. Right. Every day is a gift. Well, today, this has been my gift. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you for your story, your journey. And um, I can't wait to do this again sometime. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, vetlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.